Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And so today, we're continuing our series that we've been in since Easter uh, about hope, that we are born again into a living hope. That's what 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says, that we're born again into this living hope. And so we have hope in Jesus. We have hope in our Savior. And today we're going to talk about, in 1 Peter chapter 2, hope in suffering. Mother's Day is still a week away, but this theme, this text actually reminded me of my mom, not the suffering part, before that's um, taken out of context too far, um, but a story. When I was uh, young growing up, it was my mom and dad, and I had an older sister, um, and my younger sister wasn't born yet when, when I was fairly young, maybe, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, and my older sister, a couple years older than me, and, and so um, there would be times when one of us got to do something the other one didn't get to do, or one of us got, you know, some kind of special thing, would maybe, you know, a gift that would be given, or something that would come in the mail, or, you know, even, even when we had, like, dessert or something, and, and the pieces would be cut of the pie, right, and, and so we'd look at each other's slice and think, oh, yeah, that, that's bigger. We had a rule in our house that if there was something we were going to split in half, one of us would break it and the other one would then get to choose to try to make it as fair as possible. But inevitably, there was this said, that's not fair. <laughs> and my mom's response, which is, just burned into my head. Life isn't fair. I think if my family's tuned in, you know, in Ohio or elsewhere, they knew where I was going with that. Because life isn't fair was this, was just built in to just our, it was a phrase we used. It was uh, quite often. That life isn't fair or life's not fair. And that's true. Life's not fair. Sometimes we get what we deserve. We like being rewarded for doing right, right? We, we like the, the feedback that we might get. It's one of the five love languages that uh, Gary Chapman's book identifies, words of affirmation. And it feels good to get um, affirmation, to get kudos, to have people tell us that we've done a good job. We like to get praised for doing good. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, um, verse 14, well, we'll start in verse 13, it says, be subject to every human institution. And then in verse 14, it says, to governors as sent by him, by God, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. We like that part. We like the praise for doing good. I've gotten a few cards and letters and emails and Facebook comments and whatever lately about virtual worship. And I appreciate it. I appreciate that feedback, knowing that it's making a difference. You know, when you're not in this room and I can't, you know, hear Tom Taylor right here laughing or Kevin would be over there and his laugh is um, somewhat unique. And so, you know, to, to have that and to have smiles on your faces here and uh, to be able to greet in the, in the lobby space afterward, we can't do that. And so having some feedback to know, yeah, people are tuning in and it's making a difference. And I appreciate knowing that that's helpful, that what we're doing is good. 
There's a lot of things that are like that for us, right? When we've done a good job. We like it when the boss says, good work. Or the end of year bonus, if you get one of those. That's, that's helpful. That's encouraging. Or the annual review, if there's good feedback that you get from, your, from, your, um, from people in your company, from colleagues, management, coworkers, etc. That's good. It's one of the things that makes social media addicting, they tell us, is the endorphins and dopamine that you get from, from likes. When you post something and people like it or appreciate it or you know, put it a, you know, some kind of smiling emoji in it or whatever, then that is, that's, like releases chemicals in, in our brains that make it even addictive. I'm connected with uh, a, a cycling social media um, tool called Strava, if you've ever heard of it. And uh, I'm on there, so if I do a ride, then I post that ride on Strava, and I'm connected to various people, one of whom is Dennis Dong, who has moved from here to Colorado, but we're still connected on Strava. So when, when Dennis or a number of, uh, any number of other people that I'm connected to on there, when they give me kudos, is what it's called, for completing a ride, um, then it feels good. And some of the rides that I do, it'll be like two miles just taking a dog for a jog around the neighborhood, and I'll get kudos. And it just, it, it feels good to get that kind of, of feedback. So sometimes we're rewarded for doing good, but other times we suffer the consequences of our failures. And we do. We have this sense of justice kind of built into us, right? Particularly when it applies to other people. <laughs> when someone else has done something wrong, we want there to be justice Immediately. Like how many times I've, have, I, have I been driving and I've said, and I also learned this from my mom or dad, um, where are the cops when you need them? <laughs> when you see somebody else who's speeding or weaving in and out of traffic or, or you know, going across the line or doing all kinds of things that, that I'm not doing in that moment, then I want there to be justice. Immediately, I want them to suffer the consequences. This past week, there was a video that was um, around, uh, probably has reached that viral category. A, tr- a teacher in New Jersey um, was walking her dog and going past a park, and there were all these students playing, I think, football or something in the park. And she's on the other side of the fence, and the, one of the students starts you know, taking a video because this is what happens um, now when there's any kind of confrontation. And she just starts screaming at these students. They recognize her, and she's screaming at them that they're part of the problem and that they're going to get arrested when the police come. And if that were not enough, by the end of her rant, she starts to say that she hopes that they, that they get this virus and that they suffer because they're gathered playing football in a park. Now, it wasn't right for them to be gathered and violating the shelter-in-place or whatever in New Jersey, um, they're calling it. But at the same time, really, I mean, you're, you're wishing that they suffer physical consequences. This is sometimes how we think, though. And it's not unique, and it's not new. First-century Jewish people had this same idea. And at one point, there's a, a man who was born blind, and they start asking Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents, 
that he would be born blind? And Jesus' answer is, he was born this way to demonstrate the glory of God. It has, it, it's not the, the sin of this individual or his parents that caused this issue. But, but we think that way, that when there's, well, we even have this phrase, let the f- punishment fit the crime. Verse 20 in 1 Peter chapter 2, what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, uh, then you endure? We can sin against people, and so this is a, um, in the context of this, there's masters and slaves, masters and servants um, in view possibly here, and um, but, but the general concept, I think, applies. When, when we've done wrong and we suffer the consequences for it um, and we endure, what credit is that? I mean, we, we should and we do, in fact. We've all been punished for breaking the rules as, as kids. Our kids have been punished for breaking the rules, for doing things that we told them not to do, and I did it too. Maybe more recently <laughs> than when we were kids. Unless you're still kids. I'm kind of pointing to my kids who are on the other side of the camera. Who are actually here. <laughs> but more recently, we've done things that we shouldn't have done. As we look back on our lives, it's not hard to find a trail of brokenness that we have left in our wake. Broken promises. Broken rules broken hearts, and because of those, we have experienced loss and pain and regret. It's part of our, our lives, the, the suffering that we endure as consequence for what we have done, particularly in relationships. Some relationships get complicated, difficult, or even broken because of the things that we do, because of the mistakes that we make, because of the, all the reasons. And probably it's not difficult to think of someone with whom you were close, a friend, a neighbor, even a family member, with whom that maybe you're not even speaking today because either that person or possibly you did something that caused this deep pain. So there's relationships that struggle or suffer. How many lose jobs because of rules that get broken, trust that gets violated? How many times do we lose investments, we lose resources because we make mistakes and we do things wrong? We've all suffered the consequences of our actions. But for our sins before God, though we deserve his wrath, But by the grace of God, we don't get what we deserve. Life isn't fair. We don't get what we deserve in our relationship with with God. Instead, Christ suffered for us. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Leaving us an example, not that we would suffer in the same way that he did, but that we would follow that pattern of 
suffering but not responding in kind. Christ suffered on our behalf and did so without complaint. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. When he continued, uh, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So that what we suffer doesn't take away our hope. So that what we endure doesn't steal our relationship with God. Our hope is in the God who judges justly. It's in the suffering servant. Our hope is in the one God who became man, who suffered in our place, who came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's where our hope is found. It's not found in what I can do, my effort, or even if I can endure this suffering long enough to reach the end. No, our hope is rooted in the one who suffered in our place. By his wounds, we are healed. I shared verse 24 in the absolution. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. A nod to Isaiah 53, where Isaiah writes, hundreds of years before Jesus, about the one who would be the suffering servant. The one who would take on all these wounds and suffering and even give his life for ours. His death on the cross is the good that we don't deserve. And the suffering that he endured, he did not deserve. There's an exchange that we make with Jesus where we give to him our sin our failure, and he gives to us his holiness, his mercy, his grace. He suffered the consequences that we deserve, and we get grace. I heard grace explained this way once, God, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's an acronym that spells out grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches we get. The, the blessing, the future, the promise, the hope, the joy, and it came at the expense of Jesus. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But in his mercy, in his grace, in his love for us, we receive this blessing, the forgiveness of our sin. And our response now is to do Good. Verse 15 says this, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. God wants us to do good. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is my confirmation verse, so I remember it very well. That by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God that no one can boast. But Paul goes on to write in verse 10 that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. This is the will of God, that we carry out goodness. And what does it look like? Respect authority. This is what Peter talks about in verses uh, 17 and 18. 
Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only for the good and gentle, but also for the unjust. We talked about the fear of God last week, that we honor and respect God for his power because he's the judge. We don't fear where we hide from him, where we cower before him, but we respect his authority. We respect his power, his judgment, his justice, his holiness. We're called to that fear, and in that fear, yet we still love God. And as we fear and love God, we carry out his will. His will includes honor, honoring the emperor. And then verse uh, 17 is the second time in, in a pretty quick um, place that uh, Peter has written that. He said the same thing in verse 13. Be subject to every human institution, for, to the emperor as supreme. We respect authority. In Peter's day, there was plenty of persecution and suffering that happened because of Rome, because this foreign power was in control in the whole region. And so the earliest Christians often suffered persecution just for their faith. Be subject to governors, Peter goes on to say. Governors like Pilate, like Herod, like the people who were in charge, whether or not they were good. To every human institution, Peter even mentions. He doesn't specify the good ones, the ones whose policies we can agree with, the ones whose political um, alignment we, uh, we connect with but to honor and to respect the human institutions, that God has put those in, in place for the order of society. He goes on to talk about masters and servants, the master's methods notwithstanding. Not just the good ones, not just the good boss, not just the kind teacher, not just the landlord who's helpful, but to honor the authority even in suffering, even in our suffering to follow Christ's footsteps. But Peter's ultimate instruction is this. It's found in verse 16. Live as a servant of God. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Servants in Peter's day were, were people who were owned by their masters, people whose lives were completely controlled by the master. And so as Peter writes, live as servants of God, what he's reminding us is we owe our lives to him. That he owns us, that the price was paid for our lives, that we were redeemed by Jesus, and so now we are owned by him. We are servants of a master, and he directs our lives. He calls us to a life of, of service, of serving our Savior, the suffering servant, of loving our neighbors, 
of doing the good that he prepares for us to do. We might suffer. We might sometimes get what we do deserve. But thanks be to God, we get what we don't deserve. And even in our suffering, we have this hope in Jesus, a hope that the world needs. During this time of crisis, it seems there's a number of people who are running out of hope. It becomes fleeting from us the longer this goes on, the longer that we're separated, the longer that people are required to shelter, to stay home, to wear a mask, to do the things that we're, we're supposed to do. But our hope isn't found in, in what we get to do in society and what freedom that we have to move about and to be with other people. Our, our hope is found in Jesus. So even through a time of suffering, even when hope might be difficult or fleeting, this hope that we have in Jesus is ours. And we can live in that hope, doing the good he calls us to do. Amen.